Welcome back, my fellow creatives. We are here on You've Got Five Pages to Tell Me It's Good to see if a new release from my library can indeed, in five pages, tell me it's good. Now, I just found out in glancing at our back here of this particular novel I have in my hand that it's in a series and we are not dealing with the first one. So, once again, we've got to be prepared for not uh, getting as much context and establishment and world building in the opening pages as we would if we were dealing with the first book of a series. But maybe that's to our benefit. Maybe we're going to jump right into some action for we are dealing with Alice Henderson's A Ghost of Caribou. This apparently is the third book, the first one being A Solitude of Wolverines, followed by A Blizzard of Polar Bears, and lots of people liked her books. Apparently, because there's lots of little blurby, dirty, dirty dirds on the back. Okay, so I'm keen on it because I think one of the cool things about cozy mysteries is that they are often in um, somewhat isolated locations. So your cast is limited. The setting itself um, can almost be a character, uh, depending on what you are reading, uh, which is also cool because how the character affects people, I'm sorry, how the setting affects people or incidents with the setting itself, whether you've got, you know, weather going on or just the um, terrain itself. So I, I, I love that. And these are apparently are set in the Pacific Northwest. So you can have a lot done in the forest in the middle of nothing in the wilderness. And I, and I love that. So I'm honestly, I'm, I'm a little psyched. I'm hoping this is neato. Um, but then again, considering apparently our protagonist is a wildlife biologist, I also admit I'm a little worried that we're going to get a lot of like nature info dumping right away. And that doesn't mean it, it's not bad. It just, it can be so hard for writers when they are trying to establish base information that they might go overboard and give us in essence, a dictionary entry when we really didn't need the dictionary entry, you know? So let's see what happens. I mean, right now I see a map of the South Selkirk Mountain Caribou Range. So we're on the U.S.-Canadian border. We're in Washington and Idaho. So, hey, I'm, oh, and there's a little square of where they're located. Well, that's handy. Okay, I appreciate that. And we can see the designated mountain caribou critical habitat. All right. So, thank you. I, I think Alice Henderson is wise to include a map because chances are not a lot of us realize there need to be caribou sanctuaries, let alone where they are. And the fact that it's right on the national border, too. That can lead to, I'm sure, some legal shenanigans. Um, and that could play into the story as well. So that's a good establishment there. Concern it, we have a prologue. Uh, well, let's see here. Well, hopefully this prologue isn't just an excuse to have a boring chapter one. Let's see here. Colville National Forest, Washington, 14 months ago. 
right? Amelia Fairweather had just entered her tent to sleep when a strange hum sounded from outside. She crouched there in the dark, listening. She had backpacked miles away from any town, any source of man-made noise. The hum grew louder, and she pivoted back toward the tent door, kneeling there, alert. Darkness pressed in close around her, so she grabbed her flashlight from the tent pocket. The peculiar hum grew in intensity. She gripped the flashlight to her chest, wondering if she should peer outside. And then a glaring yellow light erupted over her, illuminating the tent like a glowing yellow beacon. She gasped. Unzipping the door, she crawled out. She had pitched her tent in a small open meadow with a creek running through it. Trees gathered on all sides. The forest glowed around her, lit up in a dazzling white light. Shielding her eyes with her hand, she stared upward, but could see nothing through the bling blinding brilliance. The light lowered in the sky, panicked cold. She shoved the flashlight into her pocket and raced for the cover of the trees. The hum grew in intensity, the brilliance following her, spotlighting her as she hit the tree line. She moved between trunks, leaping over logs, weaving between strewn boulders. The thing kept above the trees, its blazing light following her every move. She had to find better cover, or get help, but the nearest town was more than 20 miles away. She'd hiked out here on one of her regularly regular backcountry treks, a chance to get away from the bustle of the city and be alone with her thoughts. At 72, she was in great shape for backpacking, but as she tore through the trees with no plan other than to get away, panic swept over her. Hold on. We're watching a 72-year-old outrunning whatever this light is. Now, I grew up on X-Files. All right, so anytime there's a strange light and we don't know what it is, I automatically think, oh, it's a UFO and there's aliens. I really don't think that's where this is meant to go. There's no hint of any sort of sci-fi or magical realism here. So if we're going to go with a realistic conclusion as a reader, there is a helicopter following her. Okay. Yeah. She's not going to outrun a helicopter. A young and spry person is not going to outrun a helicopter. Or I guess we could say a drone. This could be a drone. Drones are a thing now. But still, a person in their 20s is not going to outrun that sort of thing. How on earth is a 72-year-old woman, even an avid backpacker as she notes, she's not going to outrun something. She's been building up her endurance physically, not exactly um, a sprinting thing, more of just like, stamina to handle long-term challenge. So I, I'm trying to wrap my head around that as a reader and I'm failing. And sure, this could just be because the 72 year olds I know are nowhere near this spry, <laughs> alone a 40 something like myself. So I, but right off the bat, my my suspension of disbelief is, is kind of gone. I I, I want to know why on earth we are just 
chasing an old woman. So I, I guess I'm curious. So there's that. Let's see here. Um, her feet splashed through a creek and she stumbled over a log on the far bank. She went down hard on one knee, then scrambled to her feet again and kept running. A sudden deafening blast of noise erupted from the thing, so low in pitch that the sound vibrated through her chest. It blared out two more times, pulsing like the some kind of warning klaxon. She stumbled again, but caught herself. The thing followed relentlessly, a piercing, radiant light that lit up everything around her. There was no way she'd be able to hide from it, and it was so fast that it streaked along above the trees, matching her pace. Well, of course it does. You're 72! Okay. She had the feeling it could go even faster if it wanted to. Her heart pounded in her chest, and she struggled to still her mind to think of a plan. What the hell was it? What did it want? She ran into a dense patch of old-growth forest with Douglas fir trees that stretched up hundreds of feet into the air. She knew that even at the height of day, only dim sunlight reached the forest floor here. The strange craft soared above the trees, its light struggling to penetrate the canopy. Okay, good use of natural setting there. I, I appreciate that. Now was her chance. She had to break away, get ahead of it. She kept to the dense cover, leaping over logs and mossy, mossy rocks. She didn't dare turn on her flashlight, even though the terrain around her was now harder to make out. Her heart thudded with relief as the thing veered off in the wrong direction, searching for her. She sped on, her lungs burning in her chest, a stitch developing in her side. She crossed another creek, diving into another section of old growth. She wove between massive trunks, her panicked brain rejoicing as the thing continued in the wrong direction, its light piercing beam lighting up a different section of forest. In the ensuing darkness, with only the moonlight to guide her, she ran until she thought her lungs would burst, down a steep incline beside a cliff, still surrounded by towering trees. She could barely hear the thrum of the thing now, far off in the distance. She heard one more blast of cacophonous noise from it, and then its light switched off abruptly. She lost it. She paused, catched her catching her breath, leaning over with her hands on her knees. Terror still buzzed in her mind, clouding her thoughts. She didn't have her map or her compass, and now she had no idea exactly where she was. Blood thrummed in her ears. Then the hum returned, growing louder. She jerked her head in its direction. No light splayed from the thing, but it was definitely drawing closer. She stared around in the dark, then spotted a long, hollow log on the ground. She raced to it and lay down on her stomach. Then she crawled forward on her elbows, shimmying her way inside the hollow until it swallowed her head, torso, legs, and finally her feet. She flipped over, her face just inches from the inside of the log. She waited, breathing in the scent of earth and moss. The thing flew closer, and she could sense it was directly overhead. It drew lower lower, and she started to panic in the tight confines of the log. It knew where she was. The light wasn't on, but somehow it still knew where she was. That long, low, booming noise erupted from it, and she jumped. She struggled, torn between hiding and scrambling out to flee again. Then it was almost on top of her. There was no doubt it had found her. She shimmied out of the log and took off across the forest floor. The blinding light switched on, pinpointing her location mere feet away, and then something bit into her neck, a stinging sensation. 
She kept running, weaving between tree trunks, but suddenly she felt dizzy and couldn't keep her balance. She stumbled and fell, struggling to stand up again, and a wave of nausea spread over her. She pitched forward, her face pressing into a bed of pine needles, and darkness swam up into her world. That's the end of the prologue. Yeah, this sounds like the opening sequence of an X-Files episode. I... Maybe it would be more compelling if we could know a bit more about this person or at least maybe engage in this moment from that person's perspective because i really do feel feel like i'm just watching this play out in front of me i'm 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 not engaged um i mean the the prose is fine the details and pacing are fine. There's there's nothing technically wrong here. But for I guess maybe it's part of the big problem is I'm trying to figure out how a 72-year-old can handle this. I, I have no idea. Not to mention the menace that is imbued into the details of this thing um maybe maybe i'm just jaded but it just yeah it sounds like well it's either a drone since it, it doesn't sound like it's a helicopter then it's a drone okay the i don't really feel anything terrifying from that i mean clearly there is something unsettling here but the We don't know why this person, apart from to take a break from the city, would be 20 miles by herself, let alone this drone thing tranquilizing her or hunting her down. It all, yeah, it just, I feel like this, then we cue the theme for the X-Files and now we're going to see Mulder and Scully talking in the basement for a while before they're sent out to Washington. I'm I'm not really engaged though. I could change the channel and I would nothing would be affected. I guess if yeah, if I could experience that panic, experience why on earth she was there, you know, what makes this woman matter? Uh, that probably sounds really cold, but it's true. I I don't I am not riveted or intrigued by what just happened because so many stories and films have started with a person out doing something and then a mysterious thing takes them and oh, they're gone. I, all right. Well, let's see chapter one. Let's, let's meet our protagonist. Maybe this will change things up a bit. Town of Bellamy Falls, Washington, current day. Alex Carter approached the coffee house, instantly spotting Ben Hathaway waiting just outside. He looked the same as he had when they'd first met at the Snowline Resort in Montana last year, when she'd started her Wolverine study there. His tousled, sandy brown hair hung almost to his shoulders now. His tall, athletic frame dressed in a worn blue flannel shirt, faded jeans, and hiking boots. Okay. He turned, eyes falling on her, and grinned. Alex Carter, he said, because apparently we weren't sure who we were talking to. Oh, my heavens. 
Ben Hathaway, she says. You know, they, they, this was just a year ago. This is not like you're at a high school reunion and you're trying to peg people's names. They just met a year ago. Are you really throwing full names out at each other like that? Okay. He held his arms open and his familiar scent washed over her, a little spicy, like cinnamon, as he drew her close. He pulled away, grinning. It's great to see you. You, too. Yeah, I've had small talk like that. He gestured around them to the small town at the foot of the towering snowy Selkirk Mountains. How about this place? So great to be out here, away from my desk in D.C. Ben was a coordinator for the Land Trust for Wildlife Conservation. He oversaw projects all over the country and even the globe, traveling as needed. He hooked his thumb at the coffee shop. You want something to drink? <sighs> I have no patience for this at all. Okay, let's just all right, let's, let's give this another page. She smiled. Sounds great. He held the door open, and the rush of warm, coffee-scented air embraced her. Local art hung on the walls, and the vibe was welcoming, laid-back, and artistic. People around them read books, sketched, and worked on laptops. They ordered a mocha and a latte, then took a table by the window. As they sat down, Alex couldn't help but grin at the sight of Ben. She'd met him just as everything had fallen apart for her when she lived in Boston, and he'd been a wonderful kindred spirit at a time when she felt like few people understood her call to the wild. She took a sip of her latte, and they caught up with each other's lives. Ben told her about a new anti-poaching program he was running at the LTWC Preserve in South Africa. Alex related her adventures in the Canadian Arctic studying polar bears. She listened with interest as he described a new 6,000-acre parcel of land the LTWC might acquire in Alaska, where salmon swam upstream and huge brown bears caught them as the fish leapt up waterfalls. Okay, I, I, I just, I have to stop. I have to stop. Okay, I, I have no patience for this. I really don't. And there could be a really cool mystery here. I'm not going to act like there's no mystery. There clearly is one. But once again, the prologue was used to set up a scene to hook you because the opening pages of the first chapter were going to consist of, hey, here's the protagonist and another character just talking about life. So that wasn't going to hook people. You need something else to hook people. So they create that 72-year-old lady running away from a drone. I'm assuming it's a drone. Okay, I... here. Okay, here's the thing that bothers me. The, this This paragraph will sum up my my irks irksomeness with this story so he offers this ben hathaway guy offers to hey he hooked his thumb at the coffee shop you want something to drink she smiled sounds great he held the door open and the rush of warm coffee scented air embraced her 
local art hung on the walls and the vibe was welcoming, laid back, and artistic. People around them read books, sketched, and worked on laptops. This is all super repetitive. Yes, it is being said in different ways, but the same information is being given to us over and over again. That they go into the coffee shop. Surprise, surprise! It smells like coffee. Local art is hanging on the walls. Surprise, surprise! The vibe is artistic. It's... <sighs> As writers, we've got to make every word count. We do. Like, I, I don't have a problem with them having that conversation about what they've been doing between books. That is completely understandable. That's something, two people are going to catch up. That's what they're going to do. But when you are working in an environment, in a setting that most people can relate to, typical town setting, typical coffee shop setting, you don't have to repeat what happens there. And it just comes off as we're just biding our time and we don't need to be. It, again, it feels almost like a cough. It feels like a TV script. Oh my goodness, yes. Like that's the description that would be given before enter Alex and Ben. You know, I, that, that's what that sound, that's what that reads like. Where, you know, you have the establishing shot and this is what you'd see. Again, we're not engaged. And, and maybe I'm just sounding really nitpicky because I'm in a mood. But we have come across some amazing stories over the last year. Where even though it was an everyday setting, they, they didn't dwell on the de on, on unnecessary repetition of what the setting was like. They didn't dwell on repeating character names we just read that people would not realistically say like that just to make sure you know who's talking. You know, they wouldn't do that. And I just am never a fan of the prologue being your excuse to have a dull opening chapter. No, I am not cool with this one. Maybe the first book tackles things a bit better. And then by book three, you're willing to give things more patience. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Solitude of Wolverines has a stronger start. Okay, awesome. But this one, no thank you. I, I am ready to move on to another mystery yet. And let's see what that mystery will be. So until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers. <laughs>